Hello, welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. I'm Mary Jo Parrish, founder of Kingdom Builders, and today's episode is Go to Joseph. And just so you know, you are always loved and always welcome here. So I'd like to start off with some funny stories. Most of you know I have 10 kids, so there's a lot of humans, and we go through a lot of food. Specifically, we go through a lot of eggs. They are cheap, they're healthy, they're a great source of protein. And because of this, my kids were like begging me to get chickens. I, of course, was like, absolutely not. We are not doing that. And because my kids are so obedient and so helpful, one went against my wishes, my order me one Landon, and went ahead and got chickens anyway. And he built this really nice chicken coop. My kids were totally pumped about these chickens they had, you know, trying to pet them or whatever. They had nothing to do with them, but super excited about these chickens. And every morning they would wake up and there would be a chicken that was missing with like a little bit of blood and two feathers left over. And they would be upset and we would, you know, try to reinforce the chicken wire in the coop and make it stronger. And every morning it was like they reduced by one each day until there was none left. I felt like we should be like, like where they would come out in the morning and they should do the bum bum, you know, because each morning it was like a crime scene, like SVU. And finally we we're like, okay, we're not actually meant to have chickens. So I'm asking to my friends that have these chickens, I'm like, tell me, like, what is the incentive? Because it feels like so much work just to keep them alive, much less like keep them alive through all the seasons. Then you have to go and collect the eggs. Does it save you money? Or like, what's the incentive? And they're like, no, it doesn't actually save you money. But the eggs taste so good. They're so much better than regular store-bought eggs. And I'm like, that's awesome. But my eggs already taste pretty good. So... I just don't think I could like commit to all that work for a better tasting egg until we had the whole chicken thing where the eggs got super expensive, whatever it was that happened. Yeah, that was all before the eggs became like this incredible delicacy, which are so expensive. I see this one lady walking out of Walmart. She's holding her person like over her shoulder and a dozen eggs in her hand. With both hands, she has a dozen eggs and she's looking down at it. And her husband's beside her. He has like eight Walmart bags on each arm and he is looking at her, looking at the eggs. And they're like walking to the car together. And like their sole mission was to get those eggs to the car without breaking them. And before maybe I would have judged that or something, but no, no, no more. I'm like, yes, you go. You can make it to the car. You are made for this moment. Get the eggs to the car without breaking any of them. It's like a completely new way of thinking. And I like totally respected that. And we haven't even gotten to like the Easter season. We used to buy dozens and dozens of eggs for our kids to color. We make deviled eggs. We make egg salad, like all these things. Not anymore. They're going to get like maybe one or two. And it's going to be like, hey, y'all, you need to be like Da Vinci. You get one egg and that's all you're going to get because we cannot afford any more than your one or two eggs. Okay. Just be thankful you have those eggs. And then like deviled eggs, which is my kids' absolute favorite, like the Easter parties where, you know, deviled eggs everywhere. It's like, no, we're not made of money. We can't just be having these deviled eggs everywhere. Remember little Timmy, cousin little Timmy? Like at Christmas time, he took three deviled eggs and threw two of them away. We cannot have that sacrilege happening in our house. So just, you better just appreciate your deviled eggs when you get them. So the people who used to kind of like judge the people who took care of chickens, it's like, no more. It's like these people who are raising chickens, they have something going on. They have a wisdom, which me and many others are missing. So like, if you are a chicken raising person, I just want to like support you and affirm you 
in that effort. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogance of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel, his servant, remembering his mercy according to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Amen. So in Kingdom Builders, we always talk about our foundation before we do anything else. We pray for a minimum of 10 minutes a day because we cannot expect to live in God's will without plugging into the divine, right? We go to church on Sunday. It's a divine commandment, and we honor that. We are obedient to it, not like my son getting a chicken coop when I said no. And then we're staying in a state of grace, right? Whatever we have to do to be free is serious sin. We're getting to the sacrament of reconciliation. And for those of you who are listening here like, well, I'm not even Catholic, so I can't go to that sacrament. You actually can. You can go talk to a priest and get a blessing using everything, all the tools, and all the gifts God gave us to receive all the graces that he wants us to give. And then we continue to build ourselves, build others, and build the church. But it all starts with that foundation of prayer, church on Sundays, and staying in a state of grace. So today we're discussing go to Joseph. And maybe some of you have heard this. It's actually a reference to the Old Testament. And although this teaching is on Joseph of Nazareth, Jesus's earthly father, we are actually going to start off talking about the other Joseph from the Old Testament, Joseph of Egypt. So back in Genesis 37, and I know you guys know the story, there's the Joseph with the coat of many colors, right? He's like the favorite son of Jacob, remember Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, Israel and Jacob, same person, God changes names to start new lives. So he's one of Jacob's sons and the father just adores him, Israel adores him, and then gets him this awesome coat. And so his brothers, naturally super jelly, super jealous, not just of the coat, but just how much his father favored him. And they decide they're going to kill him. So they throw him in a pit and they take his coat and like cover it with animal blood to go, you know, give to their dad like, oh, sorry, we found just this. He must be dead. But then they're like, well, we can just sell, actually sell him to the Egyptians and like get some money. So they did that. So Joseph ends up becoming a slave. And eventually he goes on after many years to become the prefigurement of Joseph of Nazareth of the New Testament, because this Joseph of Egypt is honorable. He's hardworking. He undergoes severe persecution, but he continues to trust in God. Joseph of Egypt, he was entrusted with all of the Pharaoh's possessions. He's made steward of all of Pharaoh's reign. And he has the gift of dreaming and interpreting dreams. And that's how God protected Egypt in all the surrounding lands from this severe famine. So if we didn't have Joseph's dreaming right then, like so many thousands and thousands of people would have died. So God uses his gifts to protect not just him and his family, but all the surrounding lands. So God uses Joseph of Egypt to save the world from starvation and death. But what about Joseph of Nazareth? He also has the gifts of dreaming, humility, and obedience. And he's entrusted with the riches of God, Jesus himself, and caring for our blessed mother. He protects Jesus from being slaughtered by Herod, right? He saved the world by protecting Jesus. 
so that Jesus could grow and become our Eucharistic Lord, saving us from that spiritual starvation and death. And sometimes we can like read scripture, especially Old Testament, and just think to ourselves like, oh, that's like archaic. That's like, you know, we don't really need to know about that. Jesus is what we're going to pay attention to. And Jesus is, his words are the most important. But we also have to understand that the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So it actually is important. Both are important. The Old Testament is like the backstory. So backstory comes from like superheroes. So what's the backstory of like Spider-Man? He wouldn't be as cool if we didn't know who Peter Parker was, right? Peter Parker's like this little teenager living with his Uncle Ben and Aunt May. He attends a high school where he's kind of like this tiny nerd who's really good in science. And then he gets bit by this radioactive spider and he has all these cool gifts and abilities. And he starts to get all full of himself and entering these wrestling competitions. And he gets distracted by the glory and he lets this thief run past him. And this thief ends up going on to kill his beloved Uncle Ben. And Peter is racked with guilt. And he embraces this wise truth of Uncle Ben when he says, with great power comes great responsibility. This is only a superhero story, right? It's fiction. It's not real. Yet, most of you who've heard this know it, right? How much more important is the backstory of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is real. Jesus did walk the earth. He was born. He loved. He preached. He healed. He gave up his life for us through an excruciating torture and death. And so if we know the backstory of a fictional character, and that helps us understand his work and purpose, imagine how much more we should know the backstory of the only begotten Son of God, right? And this is why it's so important to get to know St. Joseph of Nazareth, because it helps us enter into deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. So, one thing we know is that children will emulate parents, right? If you ever caught yourself saying something that one of your parents would say, and you're like, oh my gosh, should that actually come from my mouth? Yes. Yes, it did. No. You know, it's like, you don't want that, but children naturally emulate parents. And as much as we want this not to be true, it is true. And God knew this, right? God designed us. He totally knew. Of all the good and holy men that God could have chosen across the world and across all of time to raise his only begotten son, God chose Joseph of Nazareth. God chose a man most like himself. And if God the Father trusted Joseph enough to give him his son and to care for our blessed mother, we know that Joseph can also care for us. This is from Monsignor John Essef. One of the things that I have found in talking with people is that the biggest wound is the father wound. All of us are being called to look to St. Joseph, not only as the terror of demons, but as a father figure. We need an earthly father who will show us again what a real dad is like. When God looked for someone to be like him, it was Joseph whom he placed at the head of the Holy Family. About four years ago, when Kingdom Builders first started, just in the starting up of any nonprofit, we had so many barriers, so many struggles. I am named for St. Joseph, Mary Jo, 
and I have named my son Joseph. I have a deep devotion to him. And in the midst of going through all these barriers, I was complaining about it to my friend, like, where is God? Does he not want this? You know, I thought this was laying on my heart and, you know, struggle, 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 barrier, barrier, barrier. My friend's like, well, maybe it's just too hard. Maybe you just need to let it go. And I was like, yeah, that's not happening. That actually just made me even more determined that Kingdom Builders needs to go across the world so that we can build for our Lord an army of adorers. Like our world is dark and the only answer is Jesus Christ. And that has to happen. It has to happen. So I'm like, Lord, what do you want? And about the same time we went to this conference and Father Donald Calloway was there and he was talking about this consecration to St. Joseph book. So I picked up like, I think seven copies for our team. And we did this consecration to St. Joseph. And I'm not kidding. One by one, the barriers, which seemed insurmountable, dissolved. Not like, oh my gosh, it actually like went away immediately. It wasn't like that. It was like they slowly dissolved where you're like, was that hard before? Oh, that just seemed to go away. And that's just how St. Joseph works. He is the one that does the secret things from behind and never takes credit. He just gives all the glory to God. What we know is that the Holy Spirit is within us, right? We know that. We know that Jesus walks beside us. But oftentimes we forget that he sends us spiritual parents as well. And St. Joseph wants us to call upon him. He wants it. St. Teresa of Avila says, Knowing by experience St. Joseph's astonishing influence with God, I would wish to persuade everyone to honor him with particular devotion. I have always seen those who honor him in a special manner make progress in virtue. For this heavenly protector favors in a striking manner the spiritual advancement of souls who commend themselves to him. And we 100% saw that, not just spiritual advancement, but advancement in so many different things that we were trying to do with this nonprofit. St. Joseph was for sure this awesome spiritual intercessor that was like a secret powerhouse that we didn't know about. We didn't know about his power. And so we just like, just want to give all praise to him. Like, thank you, St. Joseph. And I just want to invite you to, like, if you have a miracle that you're like, I'm going to need a miracle for this, I invite you to call upon your spiritual father, St. Joseph, because Jesus is inviting us to recognize all of those people he's placed at our side. He's inviting us to call on St. Joseph for assistance and protection. That fictional character, Uncle Ben, you know, said, with great power comes great responsibility. 2,000 years ago, the son of the living God, Jesus Christ, said something so much better. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. And my brothers and sisters, we are the ones who've been entrusted with much. We are the ones who've been entrusted with Jesus Christ and his parents. And when we embrace our spiritual parents, when we call upon their intercession, we can honor God with all our gifts in a way we haven't before so that we can go forth and build his kingdom. One of the virtues that St. Joseph emulates is the virtue of magnanimity. And when I first heard about this virtue, someone mentioned it to me, 
I was like, I have no idea what that is. I'd never heard of it before. So if you've heard of it, congratulations. If you haven't, you're just like me. I had to Google it. I pretended like I knew, but I did not know. So what is it? What does it even mean? St. Thomas describes it as stretching forth of the mind to great things. So the magnanimous person seeks greatness in proportion to their ability. They're able to recognize the goodness and their gifts, and that they come from God. And they seek to use those gifts in the best way they can to honor God. And we can see magnanimity in like famous saints who evangelized whole cultures and, you know, started up religious orders. But here is the part that's super cool. It's also found in the simple, small, ordinary people, just like St. Joseph. People whose sincere desire is just to live out the goodness of God. Most of the time, brothers and sisters, most of the time, this is us, right? This is us. There is this man called Jan Tyranowski. And he was a tailor in Poland during World War II. I'd never heard of him before I was reading this article about magnanimity. And it mentions this man. So... At this point in time, Nazis had killed a third, one third of the Polish clergy. And then they outlawed the education of the Catholic faith. They sent thousands, just whoever was remaining, of priests and religious into concentration camps. And so the only way for the Catholic faith to be continued to be passed on was through laywomen, right? Just like me and you. The church depended upon lay people to lead secret small groups to pass on the faith. And one of these small groups was led by Tyronowski. It was called a living rosary group. And Tyronowski, he wasn't anyone like special. He wasn't a priest. He didn't have any formal training in theology. He risked everything amid war and atrocities. He brought those men into his apartment to teach them the faith. He allowed his gifts, his just his little gifts, to magnify the goodness of God. And so what happened with that? Many of those men went on to start their own living rosary groups. Ten of those men went on to become priests. And one of those priests, his name was Carol Josef Votiwa, which is a very crazy name, but pay attention to that middle name. Joseph, Joseph, okay? Carol Joseph Votiwa, he's the man who eventually is known as Pope John Paul II. If Tyronowski had not used his gift, we would not have the great JP2 that we do have. He used the goodness of his gifts in his own way to bring forth God's kingdom. And sometimes it can feel like in our life, in the day-to-day that we do, that we're not doing enough or that it just seems so small, so insignificant. But the truth is that each of us, according to our gifts, is called to build the kingdom in our own way. There's a purpose that each of us has that's only for us. And God designed us for that purpose. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, It says, not as man sees, 
does God see? Because man sees the appearance, but God looks into the heart. Tyronowski, just a humble tailor, hosting these small groups of men and teaching the faith, he probably felt like, I'm not doing enough. They need to be doing something bigger, right? And often we may feel the same. One of the most common lies that we renounce in Kingdom Builders with our mothers is the lie that they're a bad mom. That's super common. The enemy loves to steal the joy of our motherhood. And if you're a guy listening to this, he probably wants to steal the joy of your fatherhood. So in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm a bad mom. Or you can say, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm a bad dad. Whatever the enemy is doing to keep you from just enjoying the presence of your children. But I always like to remind people who are struggling with that lie is that it's an attack of the enemy, right? And God knew that the enemy would attack in this way. I believe that's why we're shown in scripture the whole story of Jesus being lost in the temple because God is showing us the vulnerability of Mary and Joseph. When they lose their son, their only son, in a huge city for three days. It's not only in scripture, it's considered important enough to put as a decade in the joyful mysteries of the rosary, right? It's like Mary and Joseph are sharing their most embarrassing parenting story. And so I just like to imagine like Mary and Joseph, like, we understand your guilt about forgetting to study spelling words with little Joey. But let me just tell you, we lost our kid, the son of God entrusted to us for three full days in a huge city. Go ahead and let go of the enemy's guilt about your motherhood. You're good. Or fatherhood. You're good. And many of us can empathize with Jesus, you know, well, not wanting to do the thing that we're called to do at the time we're called to do it, especially if that thing seems totally inconsequential, like just not important. Jesus wanted to preach in his father's house from a very early age, right? He knew the goodness that he was given, the gift of preaching that he was given, and it was from God and he wanted to bring it forth, right? But it was not yet his time. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. He went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and favor before God and man. I remember talking to my friend years back when I had a whole bunch of babies at home. And I just was talking to her. I was like, oh, I just want to evangelize. Like, I want to be out there praying with people, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, Mary Jo, that's so good. That desire is so good. And your time will come. But now is not that time. You need to embrace the part of the journey you're on right now. You being covered with baby vomit and baby poop and, you know, all the stuff that you do every day, it is holy work. And God will use it all to prepare what he is going to do with you in the future. But it's not yet your time to go out and evangelize all the time. And I didn't like her answer. I didn't. But I knew she was right. It felt like all 
I did was totally inconsequential. The cleaning, the cooking, the doctor's appointment, the helping with homework, driving kids to school and practices and play dates and reading and praying with them. Same thing day after day after day to small humans who go between like snuggly love bugs to like irritated by your existence. But that is holy work. And that is my first vocation. And above anything else that God's laid upon my heart, that is what is most important. So we don't need to feel bad if we have the desire inside us to do something bigger. God is so good. His goodness spills into us and that creates within us good and holy desires. And Jesus also had that good and holy desire. And although he was man, he was fully God and he still had that desire. He knew he was called to be in the temple in his father's house. He knew that he was called to preach, yet it was not yet his time. Mary and Joseph remind him of this, and they can remind us as well. When a holy desire is laid upon our heart, there are two options. The first one is God gives us good and holy desires that he wants us to do right now. That's often the case. You have this desire, and I want you to do it right now. But there's another option. Sometimes he's calling us to the pause. Sometimes he's growing within us and preparing us to do. And so we're obedient to the call if it's immediately, but we're also obedient to the pause. We are called to honor where we are at on our journey. Just like Jesus, we're obedient to our heavenly parents. And in that surrender, we advance in wisdom and favor with God and man, just like Jesus said. What we are doing to build the kingdom, every single detail of that matters. We cannot know the impact of our little gifts offered back to the Father. Ignatius of Loyola says, God will not be outdone in generosity. And so whether we are called to use our gifts in big ways or little ways, we are growing in magnanimity and bringing forth God's kingdom right now. So if you have to read books with your toddlers, if you're spending time in the nursing home with your grandmother who has no idea who you are, if you're writing notes of encouragement to those completing RCIA, if you're praying a rosary for the conversion of sinners, all of those seemingly small things are us growing in magnanimity like our spiritual father, St. Joseph, and bringing forth God's kingdom right now. What Tyronowski could not conceive is that through his gifts of loving and leading and magnanimity, God's goodness would bring forth the great Pope John Paul II. What St. Joseph could not conceive is that through his gifts of loving, leading, and magnanimity, God's goodness would bring forth the Savior of the world. So many of us have heard Joseph called St. Joseph Terror of Demons, right? That's my favorite title of all his titles. Why is that? Why is he called the Terror of Demons? So we know that the loving relationship between a spiritual father and a child is eternal. And that means that Jesus continues to be the son of Joseph, even in heaven. He does. He's still, that's why he has that, that title still. 
there's no longer like a legal relationship, right? But it's one of love and affection and faithfulness. And that's why the church still considers Jesus the son of Joseph. When Joseph makes a petition to Jesus, it's a paternal petition. No one else can do this. No one. God doesn't obey angels. He doesn't. But Our Lady and St. Joseph are his mom and dad. And he offers them as spiritual parents to us as well. And the enemy does not want us to know the power and goodness of our spiritual parents, right? That bond is so deeply powerful and eternal. We are able to be raised to new heights of holiness when we embrace our spiritual parents. And demons know it and it terrifies them. That is why St. Joseph is terror of demons. Blessed Bartolo Longo says, It is a great blessing for souls to be under the protection of the saint whose name makes demons flee and tremble. Oh, yes, more of that. Inviting St. Joseph to be our spiritual father is super powerful. And one reason is because little ones emulate parents, right? We will end up emulating our spiritual parents. So we not only become magnanimous, we also become terror of demons. What? What does that look like? No, I'm serious. This actually happens. So when I was in the third grade, I was in a total like anti-shower phase in my life. Complete tomboy. I resented the idea that I ever had to bathe. I had super short hair. I remember changing clothes one morning for school and I was going to wear the same pants, but my underwear were in bad shape, like really bad shape. I'm like, okay, I got to switch out my underwear. So I put on a new pair of underwear, I put my pants back on, and I couldn't find the bad shape underwear anywhere. I was like, whatever. I you just know I'm ADD. I'm like, whatever. I'm moving super fast. Get to school. I'm walking down the hallway with all my friends, and I feel something at my ankle. But I didn't think anything about it, right? I was laughing, chatting, and then the thing at my ankle is suddenly gone. It's not there anymore. I'm like, hmm. Again, I didn't think anything about it until the secretary of the school yells out, Whose dirty underwear is this? And I knew whose it was even before I turned around. I knew it. And I knew the condition of those underwear. And my face got super hot. My chest was super heavy. I felt sick to my stomach. I slowly turned around. And that secretary was like holding them up like a flag of stinky shame and looking right at me. My face was like eight shades of red. And she knew and I knew they were mine. And then this other teacher walks right up to her, grabs them out of her hand and says super sweetly, thanks so much. We're just going to go ahead and throw those away. And then just continues to walk away. She looked directly in my eyes and she just smiled so gently as if to say, I got you, you're good. The level of relief that I experienced was so profound, like I was shaken. She came to me in my shame and misery, and I did not deserve it. I didn't. I chose that level of nasty living, okay? I was like this gross nine-year-old. I should have taken showers. I should have changed my undergarments more regularly. But she didn't care. She didn't judge my lack of virtue. She just came and loved me and my raw, real, messed up self, and saved me from shame. That teacher was my magnanimous terror of demons. 
And I promise you, God is calling you to be the same. St. Joseph, we know, died at some point before the ministry of Jesus began. So before Jesus was arrested, when he was praying in the garden, he was taken into a courtyard of a high priest in the middle of the night. And I always think, like, whose arms could he lean into? Who was his magnanimous terror of demons then? He didn't have one. Most of his disciples had fled. Peter, like, follows at a distance. Jesus is bound, and they're questioning him and striking him amid Peter's denials of him. And the gospel mentions the temperature of the courtyard two times. John 18, 18. Now Simon Peter was standing there keeping warm in John 18, 25. Now the slaves and the guards were standing around a charcoal fire that they had made because it was cold and were warming themselves. Peter was also standing there keeping warm. In the midst of denying Jesus, Peter's trying to stay warm in that courtyard by that charcoal fire, which means that our beautiful Lord was not only arrested, he was also bound, abandoned by his friends, interrogated, ridiculed, hit repeatedly, kept awake all night, and he was also cold. Just as a mom that like weighs on me that he was like cold. He had no charcoal fire. While he was preparing for the scourging, the crowning, and the crucifixion, he was cold and alone. No one stepped forward to be his magnanimous terror of demons. In his darkest hour, no one was there to defend him, protect him, or even warm him. The loneliness that Christ experiences before his passion, I believe it weighs on my heart because it's his invitation to embrace our spiritual father's title, Terror of Demons. Jesus is inviting us to be the goodness of God in this world. He's inviting us to be the warmth that he sought on Holy Thursday. Jesus is inviting us to leave our comfortable charcoal fire and go out to be the warmth to those in need. When we embrace the qualities of our spiritual father, Joseph, we give others a place of rest and a space to breathe. We will be the warmth to those in need. We emulate our spiritual father and we become the magnanimous terror of demons. And some of you are listening to us and you're like, that feels scary, like to embrace that title. It feels scary. And I get it. It's, it's not comfortable in this world. Like God's calling us to discomfort and that feels scary sometimes. So what do we do at that point? When we have that desire in our heart, we want to accept Christ's invitation, but we're scared. The word Joseph means increaser. So when we're scared, we can ask for the goodness of God to increase within us so that we may know God's will and also have the courage to do God's will. John 3.30, he must increase, 
I must decrease. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for sharing your spiritual father with us. We claim him as our own spiritual father. And we lean back into the loving arms of St. Joseph and rest there. We breathe deep because we know he is good. Because you emulate your spiritual father and you are good. We know he will increase your presence within us and raise us to new heights of holiness. We recognize that you being cold and alone the night before your passion is our invitation. And Lord, we accept your invitation and we ask for an increase in your goodness and an increase of courage so that we may too emulate your spiritual father, our spiritual father, St. Joseph. Pour out your goodness and the fire of your love into our hearts so that we may go forth to warm a cold, dark world. Increase your presence within us right now, Lord. Just praise you and thank you, Jesus. Jesus, let us magnify your goodness and your glory to all your creation. Amen. If you would like more information about Kingdom Builders or would like to know how to bring this apostolate to your parish, please go to our website at buildingthroughhim.com and click Build With Us.